0: Today I speak with the incredible Lacey Haynes from London. After consciously conceiving her love baby with her darling husband, she was thrilled to begin prenatal care with her OB. After a deeply underwhelming prenatal where she was treated dismissively and told she was on a conveyor belt, she switched to a midwifery program. The midwives also had very little to offer in way of individualized care, and eventually towards the end of her pregnancy, was led to the choice to go it alone with her husband and dear friend. Lacey had a weekend-long champion of a labor and was interviewed by The Guardian on her free birth, which went viral overnight and has brought an onslaught of commentary and attention to her choices.
1: Flynn, my husband, was in Australia, and he was finishing up his paperwork so that he could come and live legally in the UK with me. And we'd been on the precipice of deciding whether or not we wanted to create children. And I think we both knew that we wanted to, but simultaneously, we're afraid of what it would do to our lives and how it would impact the lives that we had that we already thoroughly enjoyed. And we knew though, that we didn't want to live a life without doing this sacred creative task, the most creative thing that you can do with another person, create life. So, we decided that when he returned to London and his visa was all set, we would begin our journey into making a love baby. So that's what we called it. We said, let's make a love baby. And when he returned from Australia, well, actually, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Well, he was away and I was uh, bleeding. I was on my period. I decided to do kind of a final um, ceremony for myself. So I created an altar and I put put some blood on the altar and uh, had a really ritualistic time with myself where I kind of bid farewell to my maidenhood and my time as an individual, singular unit in this world. And I welcomed in the possibility to create life, to have another soul, a person choose me to be their, their mama, to be their guide uh, in this world. And so I had that sort of conscious celebration on my own, which felt really important to first and foremost kind of approach myself and my independence as a woman and kind of look at how that would change and how I felt about that and to start sort of entering the journey alone. And then when he returned, then we did it together. We started talking about what that looked like. We really thought it was important that we had the opportunity to consciously create life. So what would that look like? Like, what would that look like in terms of making love in terms of coming together as two people? We wanted the event of, of sex, of making love to be this amazing starting point and for that to be fueled with love and intention. Um, so we said some nice little prayers together and, uh, and, and, you know, said sort of prayers to each other and, yeah, it felt really ceremonial and beautiful to kind of sit down and, and reaffirm your commitment to one another and your love for one another, and then to hop in bed and then do, do, do the mommy daddy dance together and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and really be, and be intentional, you know, just yeah. be like, this is what we're choosing. And it felt so powerful from the get go, um, for us. And it felt so blessed that, you know, within a month, we we had invited our baby in, we were pregnant. So it oh, all happened beautiful. Yeah, very, very quickly. And, oh, I got goosebumps. And I, yeah. And I, you know, I, I knew the to- the time when it happened and I experienced the implantation feelings and it just, it, it was really, it felt like a really elevated experience, especially mm-hmm. based on what I'd kind of seen as possible or what I'd been taught is possible. What you see in, I don't know, in the movies or you hear conversations and like this just felt like it was so wholly and entirely of our own volition. And of course you can't, you can't fall pregnant just because you choose to fall pregnant. Of course, there's a certain element of mystery and biology and timing simultaneously. um, I felt like the belief in ourselves and the commitment to the process of being conscious and excited and inviting in the opportunity, it just all, it just all was really, It was really special and really powerful. And it really set the tone for the pregnancy, um, birth I wanted to have, um, and how I wanted to be as a mother and as a woman and as a wife. So yeah, it was extraordinary. Hmm.
0: And at what point, if you can pinpoint it, was there a point in your pregnancy when you started to really feel her spirit?
1: I think that she, she visited me in dream form. So I just dreamt of water and I think there was there was one dream in particular when I really felt this connection there's a little baby on my back and I was swimming through the water with her hmm. and this commu- communing without words. I think that was the most powerful imagery whenever I felt a connection to her it would be this communion without the need to speak so a deep Mm. understanding and connection just through experience and presence um that would be sort of yeah that was that was what we kind of Mm -hmm. we kind of found together beautiful yeah and the water the water element was really extraordinary because that's you know he that's like the sacral chakra that's the the womb space and then also she's a Pisces and I thought she was going to be born, um, in Aquarius and then she waited for Pisces. So <laughs> she's a little, little fish baby. And that was, yeah, that was pretty special. Cause totally. I really was, I was really rushing her at the end there, but she was like, hold on. Yeah. I've got my, <laughs> I've got my own yeah, timing. Chill out,
0: Mom. <laughs> yeah. Chill mama. Didn't you get the dream messages?
1: <laughs> yeah. She's like, um, I've been telling you all along. <laughs>
0: And so what was did you what was the care like in your pregnancy? Walk me through that journey.
1: In the very beginning, once I took a pregnancy test to confirm that we were pregnant, I was really excited about going to the doctor and sitting down and telling someone I am pregnant and having them say good for you. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to happen and these are your options and how exciting for you. And that did not happen. Oh, you don't say. (laughs) How
0: surprising.
1: (laughs) How, how, (laughs) Um, I know, it did not happen. We ended up at the doctor and we, neither of us are, um, you know, we don't really participate in the medical system unless there's dire urgency. So we had to register with a doctor first. We weren't even registered. Um, So there was no relationship with this person. We were assigned a doctor. We went in. And I'd say that she was my age. So I'm 32. And um, so I would have been 31 at the time, but I'd say she was around my age and just kind of vacant, a vacant reaction. And, and just really, you know, we obviously had a lot of enthusiasm, which it almost felt like she mistook for, ignorance and stupidity. It just felt condescending from the beginning. And when I asked her, okay, wonderful, like what happens from here? How do we start to explore our options? She rubbed her hands together and she smiled and she said, well, it's wonderful. You are going to hop on the conveyor belt. This is a quote. You are going to hop on the conveyor belt with all of the other pregnant women (sighs) in London and you will go from appointment and appointment to appointment and you won't need to think about a thing. You'll be told what to do Uh, and when to do it. uh, And I... I just, I
0: just threw up in my mouth. I, just, I know.
1: I, threw, <laughs> I also threw up in my mouth and I was just like, if there was ever a person that you uh-huh. should not have used the conveyor belt analogy yeah. with, it was me. You know, this, I uh, had already been asking about, you know, options, midwifery, support, home birthing. And then to throw that analogy on the table, I just kind of, I could feel a shell encasing my body. Uh-huh. I just hardened to her. And I knew that this was not going to work. Um, in a way it was so, a
0: blessing in disguise that she was, was so gross blessing. with you. Cause then, it was,
1: Yeah. I really see every time we engaged with the system and were, um, disempowered or just completely turned off. It really was a blessing because it pushed us further and further into the true direction of mm-hmm. what I really wanted and where we were meant to go. Mm-hmm. So after that, we, we got assigned to the Home birth midwifery team, and that was exciting. We went and met with a midwife in a community center setting, so it wasn't a doctor or hospital setting. It was more in a kind of a um, a preschool daycare building, and we went in and sat down with her, and she was quite lovely. And I had a list of questions for her, and she was she was quite responsive, but at the same time, she was very much indebted to the medical model. She, you know, didn't have, there's, there's no freedom. They, they have to abide by the regulations that they are, that are prescribed to them. And so, you know, when I was asking some questions that, you know, about timing and, and how long do you wait for this to happen? How long can you wait for this to happen? She had standards, you know, that, that they had to sit with. And and then I was asking her like how what do you what do you think about orgasmic birthing and she hadn't heard of that but she was open so I kind of gave her a good a good a good grilling and asked her lots of things and she was quite lovely and so we were we were we were interested I wasn't super stoked because there were you know she was still she still had to go through this ninety minute interview of asking us questions that felt so asinine and. Well, far removed. It's
0: interesting when you start at the other doctor and it's mm. so bad
1: that mm. then
0: you're like, well, I guess this is, it's better. So it's better. You like automatically start mm. to like lower, yeah. you know, your expectations exactly. and yeah, it's so interesting.
1: It's like when you vote, you know, you're like, is like which you is the, what is the least evil out of all of these evils? Mm-hmm. So you, you know that it's not fully what you want, but it's better than where you started. Mm-hmm. And I was already, I already didn't, wasn't really keen on the blood tests and all of these routine tests that were, that were happening from the get-go. I think I had the original blood tests, um, but I, you know, I refused to have the flu shot and the whooping cough shot and all of these other things that she wanted to to give me. And we left there. We were like, okay, this, this might work. Maybe this is going to work, but still didn't feel super elated. I think I went to one more appointment with her before we moved. We moved just 15 minutes, um, walk away, but then that put us in a whole other borough in London, which meant we had to switch entirely GPs, midwife team. Mm. We had to, we had to leave that. So I was already into early into my second trimester. We'd at this point already decided not to have scans. So we we hadn't, I wasn't having any ultrasound scans and I already had to kind of deal with the repercussions of that with the first midwife.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you around that. Were you ever offered your legal rights of informed consent?
1: Never. No, I was only ever told that I was endangering myself and my baby and there was a good chance I or my baby would die. Those were, those, those were, that was the blanket statement that was used by everyone. Every time I had to reaffirm and re, you know, say again and again, I'm not having scans. That would be the, the, the answer that I would be presented with.
0: And do you want to, do you want to speak at all to your choices around opting out of the routine Certainly.
1: Scans. Definitely. Um, I think it's really important to, to say that I am not against scans or ultrasound technology. Um, in my research and in this pregnancy, in the way that I experienced my body and the growing of my baby, it felt like it wasn't a necessary step. And I think that the way that we use ultrasound technology is irresponsible. I think that we're telling people that it's safe when we don't really know that it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, was also, the I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say too much about like the actual technology because I'll I'll misrepresent information and then I'll put myself into a corner. Yeah, it's, um, it's okay. Yeah, but I hmm, In all of my research um, and readings, it just didn't really seem like people were really sure that it was safe and that it was really essential. And it seemed like there was, there was a lot of circular diagnosis happening where people were diagnosed with something, then they would go in for more scans and more checks. And then it would come out that they were fine all along Mm -hmm. or people would be diagnosed with, you know, something like placenta previa early on. And in most cases it clears up by the end of the pregnancy. It seemed like there were a lot of people getting super stressed out in the end for no reason. Of course there are people who find out things and maybe they wouldn't have found out. I don't know. But for me it just felt it didn't feel necessary. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel necessary like I just really felt like I could learn everything I needed to learn through how I felt, through the the movement of my child. I just I felt confident and comfortable in yeah. in like experiencing it in inspe- experiencing my body and yeah I find I do find it really hard to talk about it and it, um I think that my heart kind of jumps to a feeling of knowing that the words that come out of my mouth get twisted and used against me I feel I could I feel fearful sometimes when I talk about it because mm-hmm. um Because it probably is the thing that people, I think more than, more than free birth, that's the thing that people have really attacked me for Mm -hmm. is the, um, not having scans. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I've noticed Um, that. And it's, you know, what I'm seeing happen in, in your, in your gathering in social media is the occasional rare story of a woman who truly feels that her child was saved by that Mm -hmm. information. And you know, you and I would never say that that's not true. And Mm -mm. I'm so grateful that that woman did scans, (laughs) you know, like that's wonderful. And that's so great that the routine care that puts everybody at potential risk worked out for that one situation, you know, and it is, it's just the conversation of routine care and preventative measures or not. You know, and Mm. and people like you and I choose not and are willing to sit in the reality of not knowing everything, not Mm. thinking we're in control and being willing to accept the consequences, you know, and and that's a hundred
1: percent. And, you know, when we went to when we went to the second midwife appointment, so once we moved boroughs, we had to re-register and we had to go to the hospital for this registration and we had a midwife dressed in. This like 1950s nurse dress in this sterile room, um, basically telling me that my decisions—there was a good chance my decisions would lead to death. On some, mm-hmm. on some, some somebody was going to die. And then when we pressed for statistics, mm-hmm. you know, like is this three percent? Is this two percent? Mm-hmm. Oh no, is this one percent? No, is this half a percent? Probably not even. Is this twenty? Like 0.25? No, like it's lower than that. So why? Are you pressing fear and risk that is so small instead of the other huge expanse of what is going to most likely go right? Which is that the real,
0: the the real reason is, and we know why, sorry to interrupt you, but it's it's because if a doctor quote unquote misses something Mm. like that, they get sued
1: yeah, of course. You know, it's just it all. It all just boils down to like mitigating risk, totally. risk, protecting people's asses from being sued, and also, for, you know, people don't want to take responsibility for themselves. Exactly. Like, people want to hand over their responsibility, and then if something goes wrong, you don't have to look at yourself mm-hmm. in the mirror and say this was my choice. And I'm that's why fault.
0: it's so confronting to people when you're sharing your story in this big, you know, mainstream way through your Guardian article and the BBC stuff. And, you know, you're creating this mainstream, which has not been really done that often, you know, voice of saying, I'm actually not one of those women. I'm actually this other type of women. And it's okay that there can be all these different types. And if you want someone else to manage your care, that is all good. But I didn't. And And why is that not? Okay.
1: Exactly. And the vulnerability of it too. And the truth is I have to look at people and they're like, well, how did you know everything was fine? And then I say, I didn't know Right. just in the way that you didn't know, but you think you did because Mm -hmm. you had this scan and it gives you peace of mind, Mm -hmm. but you still don't know, you know, like there's still mystery, but I chose to listen to my body, trust, follow the signs that are there, and then allow that to be enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, I really, it's funny how I can feel it in my body as soon as we start to talk about the scans, because I really do feel, um, I, I, it, it gives me, it gives me like that traumatic stress feeling. Like I have to protect my decision and, and fight for it. Even though I'm well past my decision, my decision has been made. I've had my baby. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, it's like
0: one of the things, like you said, that has uh, caused the most upset and the most judgment. And you know, it's just, it's terrible. I'm sorry that you're having that experience because it it, will, first of all, it's, it's not fair and it's not right, but literally to perpetuate this idea of villainizing you for Mm -hmm. having informed choice, which is really the essence of, you know, like feminism and, you know, all all this stuff that we're working towards to say like, Hey, I, I matter in this society and I'm going to make my own choices that I feel are right for me. And Oh, by the way, that's also my legal right, you know, and, and and it's just so confronting.
1: It is very confronting and also I think there's this idea that when you make decisions like this it's paired with ignorance. Uh-huh. But you can bet your ass that most people that make decisions like this are thinking a lot harder, doing a lot more research, asking a lot more questions and paying closer attention to what's truly happening. You know, I I've had people feel like they need to inform me about, you know, different conditions that I could have could have, you know, I could have had or there so that I I did a lot of thinking before coming to this conclusion for myself. It didn't just come out of thin air. Of course. So I think it, this it idea really... that it <laughs> that it's paired with ignorance, it's like, I have to educate this young woman because she obviously didn't think, you know, I had a hairdresser who said to me, oh, you're having a home birth. What happens if you need a cesarean? And I just sat there and he goes, oh my God, you didn't think of that. Ew. I know, and I was just like, I just couldn't. I almost got up. I was like, I can just rip these foils out of my hair and walk out of this place. You know, it's just this this idea that you need to be informed.
0: Yeah, it it really is the difference of living in fear and living in trust. And people who Mm. live in fear cannot grasp what it means to live in trust. It's just it's black and white. It can't happen, you know for
1: sure. And also that you have to work through fear to get to trust, and it's an active working. Like I had to sit down with myself regularly, even at the end of my pregnancy, when, you know, when you're, you're, you're waiting for your baby to arrive and then every day goes past and you're like, maybe it'll be today and it doesn't happen. Maybe it'll be today. And then, and then I think to myself, maybe I should go in for a scan, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe this is, and then I have to say, no, Lacey, everything, you know, you have to turn back into trust. I had to keep turning back to trust Mm -hmm. and had to, had to make it an active part of my practice. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't just a cakewalk for me. It was like, it was, it was, it was alive, mm-hmm. you know?
0: So keep walking me through your journey. So you, you start declining the scans, you switch over mm. to this other care group. So
1: after I left that midwife appointment, Flynn and I left the hospital and I said, A, the second I stepped into the hospital, I said, i I'll never come back here ever. And after we left that appointment, I just... I just cried and I was like I have to I have to fortify myself after every one of these appointments with people who want to undermine my decisions, make me feel foolish and try to change my mind. And I just as I grow a child inside of my body, do not have the strength to walk out of these appointments and then have to build myself back up again and reaffirm what I know to be true. So I will not be participating in this anymore. Um, I stayed registered with the home birth team and declined most appointments until we met one midwife. She was the head of the midwives who basically, because we were registered with them, they took a certain amount of responsibility over us. And once, once I told them that we, you know, we're going to free birth, but we'll stay registered with you guys, because I also wanted the opportunity to change my mind. If, I've never had a baby before, you know, like if, if it came time to it at time at the end. And I said, I want to have someone there. I wanted that option. Um, so we stayed registered and also it meant too, that if there were any issues, they, they would, they would come calling. Um, so that was, that was like kind of a way for me to stay engaged. Um, and to feel like I had options so if I were, wanted to.
0: I, I mean, I, so I just want to go back to really quick, the actual decision to free birth, because, mm. you know, I think for 99.999% of people, they would have just dealt with not loving their midwifery group or tried to find another yeah. one. Where, where did that, how did, do you even remember like that? the moment that that thought occurred to you of, wait a minute, we, we could actually not have anybody with us at all.
1: I remember it happening like climbing stairs over a certain, like over a long period of time. And I'd go to Flynn and be like, well, maybe, maybe I'll catch the baby in my own hands. And he'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. And then I'd sit with that for a while and I'd say, oh, well, maybe, maybe we won't even have the midwife in the room. Mm -hmm. He'd be be like, okay, cool. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You know, and then he'd sit with it and then he'd be like, I think, yeah, I think that makes sense. And then I'd come back and I'd be like, maybe we just won't have them in the apartment at all, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just trying on these ideas. And Mm -hmm. he had to sit, he sat with that for a while. And he's just, he's so positive. And I think having, you need to have your partner or whoever is going to be in attendance on side with you because to battle the person that's closest to you would have made it impossible. And he was like, if anyone can do this, Lacey, you can do this. And we can do this. Let's do this. Um, so having that support and, really helped to validate that decision. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but it happened like that. It was like trying on Mm -hmm. my power and then being like, I like this. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Stepping deeper into the center of it until, until I arrived at this possibility.
0: It's beautiful. And how did the midwives respond when you told them your intentions?
1: Well, we had, we had this other midwife come to our apartment. So after we had this hospital, um, registration session, they come to your house. So we said, okay, maybe it'll be better when they come to our house. So we had this woman come to our house and it was, it was awful. She d- didn't even look at Flynn. She was just going through a binder, asking questions. And uh-huh. because I, I know it was so, it was so unfortunate. Um, and just that this and,
0: is what most women get. I mean, that's I just know. the part that just like, like, you know, for you, that's awesome. You went and had a free birth and found all this power, but like, Oh, this, most people don't, they have to sit with the. Yeah. And this woman who is just
1: not even making eye contact and you're elated. You want, you want people to celebrate the fact and then you, and then it gives you permission to celebrate that you are carrying life. You are the carrier of the human race. You're Mm -hmm. this powerful kind of a big deal. Like (laughs) it's huge. And it just gets so diminished. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so Flynn started asking her questions, And he was like, you know, what made you want to become a midwife? Because Mm. he really was not getting from her. And she was (laughs) like, well, she was like, I tried to become a physiotherapist for three years, but I didn't get into the program. So my mom suggested I become a midwife. Oh my God. And Flynn was just like, oh my God. (laughs) You know, a lot of midwives, that is not their case. Right. Their way into it. They're, they're passionate, but she was not. And we were just, oh my God, it was ghastly. And. And she said to me, because I hadn't had scans, I'd refuse scans. As they continue to say, you're refusing scans. Yeah, Um,
0: you naughty girl.
1: Yeah, so bad. She said, you know, I needed a form filled out to say that I was pregnant for some application government Mm -hmm. thing and um, for maternity uh, pay. And she said, oh, "I guess I can fill it out for you, but because you haven't had any scans, we don't really even know that you're pregnant." And I was like, "Dude, if you can't palpate this body oh. and figure out that I am pregnant, and look at me and oh. see that I have the body of a pregnant woman, then you should not be in this profession." Oh my god! So, gosh. so it was just not was to bad. mention like
0: <laughs> maybe a fetoscope to hear a heartbeat, like you
1: know, I mean, like I well, I was also yeah. She, I think she. Yeah. She just like, oh my gosh, sorry. Just even recounting it. It's baffling.
0: Well, and that's, that's where it just gets so interesting that the scans and and why they're so triggering is they have actually, we have put so much faith in the technocratic model as a human race that the scan is what proves pregnancy to the provider. That's insane.
1: It is. There's a wonderful quote in, um, in Sarah J. Buckley's book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. And it's, I forget who has the quote. It's not her, but it says, we don't believe anything unless we see it on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's just this, it's like, unless you see that baby on the screen, mm-hmm. I do not know that you are pregnant. So That's what you should tell that.
0: people. You should say, I didn't need to see them on the TV because I could see inside, you know, and yeah, just really it, confuse it, everybody. It's, <laughs> just I'm like I can see deep. If there was, a, you know, if we're meant to look
1: in there, there would be there would be a window, you know? So anyway, she, she left and we were just like, we basically were yeah, just nail like, in the had to, we cleansed our space. I think we were like, open the windows and we were like, Oh, get, get that out of here. Whoa. And, um, and then we just, I didn't have, I had maybe two visits after that. So that was, that was early on in my second trimester. So after that, we met the actual head of the midwife team. She was quite Lovely. She was more of a pillar. She didn't encourage us, but she didn't dissuade us. She just was like, you do you. If you want help, I am here. If you have a question, I am here. If you are in the middle of labor and want to text message me a picture of your vagina, I will look at it and tell you what I think is happening. You know, like she was like, I am here. I was like, okay, I can work with you. Mm -hmm. You you are great. I I like what you're putting down. She was the only one in the team who wasn't afraid of us because everyone else was afraid of this like free birthing couple Mm -hmm. who is refusing scans. And so I think I had two appointments where she came around and just asked if I had any questions. We she we didn't have any Doppler um, to listen to the heart at any point. We just used the little what's it called? The little like the little um, fetoscope. Yeah. The little thing that looks like a trumpet kind of Yeah, scope. Like, yeah. Fetus Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So we, you know, use that a couple of times and, and then and then what happened. Oh, and then we get close to the end of the pregnancy. I am due. And then I get a call at eight fifteen on like a Tuesday night, just when I'm past due in quotation points. And it's a woman who works at the hospital we are registered at, and she is um, oversees all the midwives. And she calls at eight fifteen at night. I wasn't expecting a call. I was doing yoga or something or getting ready for bed. And within two minutes, she said, "You, what you are doing, you need to remember that you could die, or mm. your baby can die, somebody can die." Die. She said it so many times. Mm. And I said, Listen, I have no idea who you are. I have never met you. You're calling me a woman who is due any day now, who has made her decisions and made her decisions very clear. I have told you the way that I want you involved in my pregnancy you're calling me this is like an abusive it's call assault. you're calling yes. me out of nowhere and you're saying these things to me and then you're making it so i have to walk away from this call and i have to deal with the repercussions mm-hmm. of your fear and the whatever whatever model that you subscribe to that you're putting on me when i've already told you the way that i intend to use the system and 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 it's been agreed to you know it was agreed to with the other midwife this is how we will engage so she, you know, she, she, she bit her, bit her lip and, and, and offered me a quick apology and said, I'm going, I need to put this call in writing. She dropped a letter off with an apology in it, but then also a reminder that everyone could die.
0: Wow. I'm just picturing yeah. like a big ransom note of like cut out I, letters.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> just like
1: graphic. Die. Of, oh my God. Die. Exactly. So then you know, I get off the phone and I'm like, "You'll not believe what just happened. I explained it to Flynn. We basically i I had to like physically remove it from my body and just like mm-hmm. dance it out and talk it out for like a good hour before I felt like it had moved and then I had to do it again the next day because mm-hmm. it sits inside of you when people slingshot their fear into you into your home at night when you're you know you're I'm not I wasn't prepared. I hadn't. St- steal myself for this call. I wasn't anticipating it. So it's just so it's, it is assault. Mm. You feel, you feel so. Yeah. Assaulted. Yeah. And you're so sensitive
0: at the end Mm. of your pregnancy. And the the, the time is just so juicy and that veil is getting so thin and everything, you know, when it's honored and and sacred, it's so, it's all just so tender and to have literally someone call into your space and into your home and say that is so unacceptable.
1: And you're preparing, you have your own, I have my own set of fears that will always be much stronger than a stranger's. I have to face myself every day and the decisions that I've made, whether some days I wake up and I'm like on top of them. And some days I wake up and I have to reintegrate them and get excited about them again and remind myself why I'm going the path Mm -hmm. I'm going when it's the hardest path, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, and
1: you have, you have people, people fighting against you who don't even know you.
0: People literally calling
1: you literally (laughs) calling your phone. I know it's, it's real. So that was, that was when I was, you know, about to have a baby any day. Oh, dear Lord. So that was like a Tuesday. And then I went into pre-labor that Friday night. So just a few days later. And let
0: let me ask you real quick before that. Yeah. What did you, uh, you mentioned dancing it out. Do you have any tips for other free birthing or home birthing mamas that, you know, this is very common, unfortunately, because we live in such a technocratic fear-based world of people just getting inundated with this kind of emotionally abusive, you know, mm. fear mongering behavior. What are some things that you did with your partner or by yourself to kind of just move it through?
1: Yeah. So as a, as a yoga teacher, meditation guide, and like a long time yogi, I've, I've learned that, Embodiment is the most important thing for me. Being inside of my body, understanding where things hit me in my body, mm. and then finding a way to move it out of my body. So I would do just, I would put on music and just like hardcore dance if that's mm. what I needed to do. If I needed to like physically shake it out of me, I would sit quietly if I needed to discover where a fear was hiding. Like if I needed to like be really quiet and say, okay, where are you? I know you're in there cause you keep uh-huh. popping up. Or I would do my yoga practice. I could sometimes would do a, a more, um, uh, a yoga practice that had a bit more shape. And sometimes I'd do one that was a lot more free and playful. So it was really dependent. It really was about me saying, what's going to serve me right now? How am I going to explore what I'm feeling? If it was something that needed to move out of me, or is it something I need to amplify? Uh And then I would try to find a practice, usually movement. Sometimes it would be writing. Sometimes it would be singing. Sometimes it would be talking or chanting. Just some sort of physical practice that would help me to to center myself and to move the energy. So it was always... It was always about body
0: embodiment, mm-hmm. which is like such an important thing for then the act of birthing, of course. And that's the thing, you know, for anyone listening who's dealing with this, just move it. Name it, notice it, don't let it fester, move it in whatever way makes sense for you. You know, if you're if you're into yoga, I mean anybody can dance, anybody can scream into a pillow, anybody can go Ugh. for a walk, you know, whatever it is, just really identify like that's not mine, and I don't want to mm-hmm. keep this in my space. Um, gosh, you know, it's just, and also that we don't need to be teachers to every hater. You know, that's another thing I keep hearing people be like,
1: and stop the conversation. You know, like uh I started practicing, like, I'm not going to have this conversation with you, that hairdresser after he, he rattled off his, his bullshit. I just Uh looked at him and I said, this is not a conversation that you and I are having. And then the, the air went cold and I didn't say another thing. And I just went back to reading my book. You know, you, you have to start practicing that boundaries. that boundaries, saying, no, this is not your business. You are not a person who gets to ask me about this, who gets to tell me. And, you know, you, you have to do that to your family sometimes, uh-huh. too. Like, there are people who you think should be on your team, who will not be on your team. And then you do not talk to them about the sensitive things. You talk to people who bolster you up. And if that's two people in your life, if that's one person, if that means hiring someone Uh to be that person for you, you find the people who can be on your team because there's no point in trying to convince people that's not what you want to be doing when you're pregnant. You need to use your energy for yourself. It's so draining. Uh It's so draining. And so... So that's why i also I also didn't talk publicly about my decisions. I did maybe once or twice while I was pregnant, and then I just didn't again. I didn't talk publicly to my online community because I didn't have the capacity to defend myself there was mm. uh, there was no part of me, and I didn't want to leech any energy into in into feeling that I was um being called out for my decisions and did so you, I just didn't
0: did you know any before and then when we'll you get into your birth story, but did you know anybody? who had ever birthed unassisted? No. Okay.
1: And I, I didn't know anyone who had not had scans either.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. Um, but then I, then you find out after like your, my husband's mom didn't have scans because nice. they weren't available or, you know, all of these people who are just a generation well, not, that, that's they didn't I, have scans.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and like, also, I mean, in the birth, free birth community here and just birth community here, like in California, at least, or the people that I'm interviewing and talking with, like most people that I am talking to do not do scans, you know, and, yeah. and there's, I'm sure you've tuned into more of the unassisted communities, you know, around the, the, the different countries now, but you know, that's, it's funny because from where I sit, it's like so normal, but then, you know, I'll look at your like Instagram feed and I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I guess a <laughs> lot of people <laughs> don't like that, but it's no, so, that's like, like- like, That's of course the trigger I wouldn't. point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's funny because to me it's like, why would I get, why would I put ultrasounds on my baby? That doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, it's, it's, exactly. And, and you are not alone. I mean, this is this is true for I think almost every single person I have interviewed so far.
1: Wow, and something and something that I've said, you know, like if I was in a position where I was you know, in another pregnancy where I thought, oh, something's, you know, maybe there's something not going on here. Maybe there's something I don't fully understand happening with my baby. I'm going to, I'm going to actively make the conscious choice to go and have a scan. And then I would make that conscious choice and I would feel empowered because it was my choice and I was making it for a reason, Uh you know, like that's also, I think that's so important for people to remember because often it's like, people believe that you hate the, me- you hate medicine, mm-hmm. you hate technology. You, you know, you must live in the forest and, you know, forage for berries with, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's gray areas.
0: Yeah, totally. I know.
1: So yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that really is actually how obstetrical care is meant to be. It's meant to be for high risk, you know, situations and really the utopian dynamic would be, You know, for for women to take more responsibility for their own care and use the obstetrical model if they felt like something was outside the range of normal. Obviously, we know the problem is that most women are walking around socialized to not trust themselves and to not have any idea about birth or what is normal. And so, you know, that breeds all of the fear. So...
1: Of course. And when scan, when scans
0: first started, they were, they weren't being used for everyone. Like it was like, it, it,
1: it was for high risk or for people who, you know, needed it.
0: Same with continuous monitoring. I mean, yes. a lot of this stuff. Okay. So let's okay. get into your birth story. So oh, okay, it happened, you said a couple of days after the horrible call.
1: Yeah. So on, I was really, I thought that I was going to give birth on the full moon, which is about eight days before I did give birth. And then every day after that, I was just like sitting on the edge of my seat. I was finding it so hard to let go, so hard to not control and to just trust. Like I had to keep just surrendering and trusting. I felt like that was my active practice and it was every breath and every moment I was just like, Whoa practicing. And on Friday night, I started to get a lot of sensation, kind of like cramping and light contraction feelings. And was just, I felt like it was on, um, but it wasn't full on. So we went out for Thai food and, um, which was a bad idea because uh. then the the burps after that uh. were just so painful. Uh. <laughs> so we went out for Thai food and we we're like, last hurrah, go for it to eat, come home. And then it just, it just kept growing. The sensations kept growing in intensity and it would be not until Monday morning at 1am that I would actually, um, deliver Fox. So it was a full weekend birth party mm. and one where I maybe slept for like half an hour intervals. I could barely eat once it started. You know, I didn't know the difference besides timing and regularity of, of contractions or whatever word you choose, waves or whatever. Um, besides, you know, regular intervals, I didn't know that it wasn't, you know, it was pre-labor, not not true labor. Uh. So I was kind of like, okay, I guess we're in it now. Um, and then Saturday rolls around and, um, my friend Claire, who was, um, attended, she's one of my best friends. She was the other person who attended our birth. So it was Flynn and I and Claire, she came around and kind of set up camp with us. And, um, yeah, we set up the living room, made it just this like lovely birthing den vibe, had shower curtains on the ground, covered with lots of blankets. I had made this massive birth altar, um that was just kind of the central piece of the living room we played cards and i just kind of like moved around i called my mom and told her that it you know had started but not to expect anything i didn't kind of know where i was but that i would you know be in touch once things developed but i didn't really want anyone um waiting on me i didn't want anyone's expectant energy you know, wondering when the baby was going to come. I just kind of wanted to to pull back. So I don't know, maybe Flynn told his parents, but then we, you know, didn't tell anyone else. Then just spent the weekend kind of rolling, rolling around, listening to some music, dancing a bit, trying to get my body comfortable. Flynn and I, you know, did some making out and had some sexy times kind of on the Saturday Thinking that it would, you know, bring on the labor, and also it was just really nice to to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sunday rolled around, and things were growing in intensity, but still, I didn't kind of know where I was standing. Had you so we slept called. at all? No, and that was the thing. Like it was, I really wasn't getting any sleep, and Flynn and Claire were just kind of tag teaming and going and taking naps and and switching in and out. And I was having a really hard time eating. Besides the dinner yeah. that I ate on Friday night, I did not eat really anything, maybe how, a bit of
0: rice. How frequent were your waves throughout the weekend?
1: Um, They were kind of like every 10 minutes once the Friday night happened. And then they started to get a little bit closer together on the Saturday night, and then they separated again. And then they started to come closer together on the Sunday. So it's kind of like they were ebbing and flowing, Mm -hmm. Um, not quite taking concrete shape, uh, but definitely like a slow mount. And so we decided to call Francine, the midwife, and she popped around and just kind of gave me a check. And um, that was the first time we listened with... No, we didn't listen then. She came around twice. And she just kind of checked me out and asked me how I was feeling, said, you're doing great, was around for about half an hour. And then she left. Did she give you a vaginal exam? She did. And I, yeah, that was a, it was hard to say yes to that, but no, she didn't give me one the first time. She gave me one the second time. Okay. She offered it to me. She wasn't pushy. She was like, I can check you and see where you're at. And I sat with it and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to know where I'm at right now. It's been a long weekend. Yeah. This
0: is Sunday.
1: It's Sunday. And I, um, so where were you? you? I think I was at in this, in the second. So the first time she came around, I think it was just like, you're doing great. Peace out. See ya. Great. Then the second time she came around, it was maybe around nine on the Sunday night. And that's when she listened with, I think da- Doppler uh-huh. to, and that was the first time I heard the baby's heart, which uh-huh. was actually, it was actually, it was, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, because Flynn had been listening. Flynn got really good at listening with just his ear, um, in the last trimester. So like, just like really moving around and finding her and listening. Um, and so he, he'd heard her, but I hadn't heard her and it was just, it was really, it was really lovely. And so, and I had a vaginal exam really brief, but she was like, you're at about four and a half or five. You're doing great keep going. Um, and there were probably two moments over the whole weekend where I just had a moment where I was like, can I keep doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, like this is a huge experience. Can I keep doing this? And I knew inside of me that the answer was yes, but I also needed to ask the question out loud to myself and just to have Claire and Flynn just kind of like, look at me and be like, yes, you can. And then to be like, yes, I can. And we decided I, you know we had a couple of meetings before the three of us and i was like you know i i'm going to be water and you guys are going to be rocks hmm. and i just want to crash around you guys if i need to i'll flow around you if i need to and you guys just be rocks and they were That's they cute. held the space they just held the space so well they were never observant they were always just witnessing they you know it was just it's that was such an important and integral part to have people be the way that you want them to be, to be flexible, to, to leave, to get you things, to touch you, to not touch you. That was, you know, to be able to call the shots and to not have people who ever feel offended or ever feel as if ever feel as if it has anything to do with them. So they very much understood their roles. Um, and so Francine gave me the exam. She said, you're doing great. Um, and my water hadn't broke at that point still, Um, She said, you know, go, you know, go give a try on the stairs Um, because I every time I left the room that we had been in, I was going into like really huge shiver shock. Like I would just start shaking kind of really violently, um, partly due to the cold, but partly just as a physiological reaction to what, what was happening as I was like getting closer to giving birth. So I had to bundle myself up in like every single blanket and go walk this, give, you know, just like get a bit of movement, get out of this, get out of this room and have walk the stairs. And that felt really good. It felt really good to just get up and be mobile and to like kind of drop down a little bit more. Cause I'd been trying to just like, I'd been on my side, I was trying to rest, but it was just so uncomfortable. So I walked the stairs and then I went into the bathroom, I shut the door and I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a shower. I'm going to wash my hair. I am going to get myself cleaned up and just feel good. So I went in the shower and then my water broke as I got out of the shower. And I it felt it was just really satisfying to have that happen. And then I went and I blow dried my bangs and got my, <laughs> did my hair. <laughs> I just was like, you know what? This weekend has been too long. I just need to like have some normalcy. So mm-hmm. I just like went instead and Flynn and Claire, like, are you doing your hair? And I was like, dudes, I am doing my hair. So I like stood out in the hallway. You're like,
0: I just need something.
1: (laughs) I was like, I just need to do something that feels like not connected to this experience. You know, like just feels like normal, whatever. Did my hair, went back in. Then my like waves were just banging right up against each other. It got so intense and uh, Then I was just like, I have to go in the bathroom. I just have to be in the bathroom. It's the smallest space in the house. Um, Francine was long gone by now. Claire was, I think, asleep in the kitchen. And Flynn and I went in the bathroom, dimmed the lights. I sat in the toilet, wide-legged, and I was like, just this feeling of being wrung out. Mm -hmm. Feeling like there are hands wrapped around your body, and there's no pushing It's this idea of effort was so non-existent because there was nothing I needed to do but get the hell out of the way and just like soften around every edge, unhinge my jaw, let every follicle of hair just soften, open up my legs and just be wrung out. And that's what I did. Flynn just like pulled my head into his side and stood next to me and I was on the toilet with my legs wide open howling with sounds that I have not since been able to recreate because they come from a place that you cannot find. I cannot find unless I am birthing a child. And I just was wrung out. We were in there. Time becomes this stretchy mess. There is, I think Claire said we were in there for like 45 minutes Mm. and she just, I think there, what happened first a, like a bulging white sack mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. and Flynn was like we didn't, but I don't remember reading about that. It's like there's an <laughs> it was alien
0: like, emerging. It's like I'm
1: not sure what that is so he's he like hey Claire will you just grab the, grab the phone for me and he just took a quick picture and he just sent it to Francine and this was in like a one minute window like in between my contractions and Francine was like all good keep going and he was like perfect threw the phone out of the bathroom and um and then <laughs> yeah just, they were probably i know it was it was so funny cuz i was like i was like i'm good take the picture and i was like and he was t- he was like okay texting mm-hmm. and i was like i'm going in Threw the phone out <laughs> back in and um yeah it was just and then in between he was just like telling me stories and saying the most wonderful things it was Aww. just like this dreamland and he'd tell me stories of india or he'd tell me stories of of our baby or just these wonderful things that he was, you know, obviously channeling and just feeling called to say to me. And they were just so beautiful. And, um, and then I just, and then I started to, I could really feel her head coming down and I stood up and Flynn was like, I have a head in my hands. It's like, I have a head in my hands. He was like, it's a baby he was like, it's a baby. You know, like there's something about it that you just don't even realize that there is a real person. And then it's there. And you're like, it's a person. And I stood up and he held her head and she just came right out like a slippery little fish just, and I caught her body in between the four hands. She was so hard to hold. She was so slippery. And I just sat down and later on my thighs, my cord was really short. So I couldn't kind of lift her right to me. And she was determined to try and slip through my thighs. So we were trying to <laughs> get a hold on her and her little mouth opened and her little tongue was just howling this this like full on cry telling this story like I am here. This was my journey. And it's that was such a big part of it for us. It was like, we can trust ourselves, but the most important thing is like, we trust her. Like Mm -hmm. she, this is her journey. This is her life. We get out of the way so that she can start this life on her terms. This is hers. And she just opened her mouth and was like, I am here. Mm -hmm. I have done this. And I really felt just like reverence for her because she just went through the biggest journey of her life. And we did everything that we could to make that journey safe and full of love and full of trust, so that she would enter her life knowing that her parents trusted her. You know that she could be trusted to do things the way that they felt right for her. You know. Mm-hmm. And so she's laying on my thighs, and I'm trying to like lift her to my boob, but like the cord's quite short, and I just like snapped from this exhausted like Mister Burns like hunched over character who was like depleted of. Every, you know, I was like so pale and exhausted after like two and a half days of this to just this ingorged boob, standing up warrior woman. I was like, <laughs> Lynn, get towels. Claire, Claire, who was on the outside of the door, just like listening. I was like, Claire, get this, do this, do this. Standing up, blood dripping out from between my thighs, this cord attached to her. And I was standing up and I managed to lift her and kind of hunker down and put her to my chest and just felt so powerful. Mm-hmm. I felt so powerful. And like, I had, I was the commander of this experience, like in, as much as I could have been, you know, and I just felt so, I felt so good. I felt so, uh, oh, yeah, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. So we were in the bathroom for a while probably for, I think Claire said about two hours. So Claire is really the keeper of this story because, <laughs> she, you know, I, I've had to really turn to her to find out what happened. Um, and, sh- and so we wanted to wait for the placenta to be born before, um, we, before we cut the cord. Um, but I was, the cord was super short and the placenta was not coming. So after um, an hour and 45 minutes, uh, and it had stopped pulsing. We kind of squeezed it a little bit to see if she reacted to the sensation and she didn't react. And I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to we're going to cut you free from your placenta now. Like, are you okay with that? Do you, are you okay with that? She seemed okay with it. so we, we cut it and she was fine and then moved how, into the how living room. did you,
0: room. what did you use to cut it?
1: So we, we moved into the living room, I think at this point, and we just tied a little piece of sterile string and Flynn had a scalpel that he bought for like model making. He's a designer. So I had sterilized that and, and just gave it a swift little cut. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was much less of a deal than I thought it was going to be. Cause we'd kind of, we'd kind of been like, maybe we'll do Lotus, Lotus, um, and have her stay attached and, you know it was fine. In the end, it was much simpler and less traumatic than I thought it was going to be for all of us. And, you know, at at this point, had I been in the hospital, they would have, they would have induced delivery of the placenta because I was at like two hours, it still wasn't coming. And I was getting a little bit concerned because I was so exhausted. You know, I hadn't eaten. I was, I was, you know, had fed her, she'd latched and that was wonderful. And, but I hadn't felt like any stirring of the placenta. And so I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, no, Lacey, like, you're going to, it's going to be fine. And Claire and I went into the bathroom together and she was just doing a little research and she was like, okay, you've done all these things. Like, I think, you know, you're going to be okay. It's going to come. And it still didn't come. She went home. This was like four in the morning. And I went into the living room and Flynn was there with Fox. And I was like, oh, the placenta's not coming. And he just looked at me and he was like, Lacey go deliver that placenta. And I just went in the bathroom and I was like, body, it is time uh-huh. placenta. You are coming. And within one minute, it just like fell in, it arrived into my vagina. I reached in, I pulled it out. I put it in a bucket and put it in the fridge. And it was great. You know, it was just like another instance of needing to just like take a pause, be by yourself. Like as soon as I was by myself in the bathroom, as soon as it was quiet. And as soon as I really just turned into my body, It happened, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was just further, another, another example of like intimacy, being alone, being focused, knowing what you want, asking for it. And then it happening. Yeah. So then we went back into the living room. Claire had made us this extraordinary post-birth, like fried ginger rice meal. Mm. Baby was all bundled up. Um, and then I, or no, she wasn't bundled up. She was on Flynn. She was skin on skin with Flynn and they were all wrapped in blankets. And then I came back and brought and had her on me. And we were just kind of like holding her and cuddling her and eating and, um, and hung out for a while. I think we called our families Hmm. and then we were like, I guess we should go to bed now. You know, I guess this is probably a good idea to go to sleep. And then we're like, you know, it's just so funny. All of a sudden have a baby. And then you're like, okay, I guess we, you know, (laughs) you're like, I guess we all go to bed now. In our house Claire tidied up quite a bit Flynn and I just kind of left things as they were you know it looks like a bit of a a bit of a scene you know after after a birth happens there's kind of blood everywhere and stuff everywhere and a big huge um big huge mess but what does it not matter to you know I just have
0: to <laughs> say there is not blood everywhere <laughs> sorry <laughs> No, I don't want to I don't know what kind of, of birth, birth scene you have. But I've been to a lot of births and there is not blood sorry. everywhere. I'm sorry. I should yeah, okay. I, I after I said it, I was like, that wasn't the right thing.
1: There was like there was there's like, blood. like bloody I, towels and there's like bloody towels yeah. and like for me for me I'd had the cord hanging out of right. my vagina. So there was like blood all over my thighs, and then I'd sit down somewhere and then I'd go back to the bathroom. So it was like for us because I was moving around the space really freely. Mm -hmm. Um, And like after the placenta came, I kind of like dripped some of that on the floor. So there was in our house, there was like, you know, more blood on the ground mm-hmm. and on towels than there normally is in yeah. our house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. except for all those days you're free bleeding on everything. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Except For those days, I'm just menstruating all over the house, um, <laughs> like a so, cat. No, there, it wasn't. It wasn't a murder scene. It was quite palatable. I take it back. For, you know, not like just blood everywhere. Um, so yeah, and then, and, but yeah, that was that was the general. That was the general gist. And of then what you all slept. And then we all slept so soundly. Aww. Yeah, it was wonderful. We all got in bed and we slept. And then the next day we woke up and we'd I'd said that I was happy for the midwives to come around the next day. Um, and they did come around. Two midwives came around and they were lovely. It was so funny because we hadn't met these midwives. And I just, it was, it was such a blessing that we had this really crap midwife come around who Flynn had asked these questions to, because had these really nice ones come around, we might not have free birth. So these really lovely midwives came around. They were super supportive, you know, like very asking permission, asking, you know, would you like us to do this? Here's some information. You don't have to do it today, but you know, they were just, it was really nice. And it was actually kind of nice too. Cause we were like, look what we've done. You know, we don't have any family here. So it was kind of a nice moment to have people come around while we're lying in bed. And, um, and they weighed her and, um, and what else did they do? It was funny too, because they, they'd heard about us, you know, and she, and, and one of the midwives was, I think she was kind of surprised.
0: Yeah, I know. I think she was
1: really surprised at how normal we -hmm. were. Like, I think she was really expecting us to be strange and, um, and that was quite cute, um, because it, she really kind of showed, she was like, oh, so, you know, oh, you guys seem like, you guys seem quite normal, you know, like, I think she even might've said that, like you guys, the free birthers and, um, and why did you choose it? And, you know, and then she got a bit inquisitive. One of them did asking us questions and, and yeah, so,
0: uh,
1: I did saw the just midwives a the cou- They just came
0: that one time. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I saw them a couple of times after that. Um, They came around and I'm trying to remember. It was actually really, it was actually really good because we were doing the first 40 days of kind of uh, retreat. So we weren't going out or having any, we don't have any family here, but we were really like having this incubated time of adjustment and having the baby come into the world in a really peaceful chill setting and then having these midwives come into the house and they all were quite nice. We had different ones every time, but they were all really lovely and supportive and, and quite helpful. Um, so like with breastfeeding, I had, uh, you know, a couple of questions and that was really lovely. And then I think they came around one other time and I was feeling quite emotional. And, um, and the woman who came around was really supportive and just really like listened, um, so it was funny to have that experience after we'd had so many uh-huh. shit experiences. And then it really, it really did drive home how all of that had happened early in the pregnancy and throughout pregnancy to really steer us in the direction of the free birth. And then afterwards I was like, okay, and now here are all the nice people that, you know, you didn't meet before.
0: Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. Where are you at right now with, with the baby? Do you need to check in with her or did you have time to talk about the, the postpartum stuff?
1: Yeah, let's talk about it. I, um, I'll go I, you know, I would know. I think, I think she's okay. I would hear, I would hear if there was anything. Any your
0: boob, your boobs she, would start leaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would,
1: then my boobs would just inflate. I think we have some time.
0: Okay, cool. Okay. So, um, yeah, let's, let's keep talking about your postpartum because this is where it, it gets even more interesting. Um,
1: birth birth is the easiest part Yeah, you really realize that once you have a human to look after 24 seven, it's so It's such a funny joke nature plays on you because they're like, Hey, have a pregnancy for nine months. Hey, give birth to a baby. And now here go full on more than you've ever gone in your whole life. Like you, for me, any project I've done in my life has had a start and a middle and an end, you know, like when you have a baby, there's no space. Every moment is just pressed up against itself. And for me, the first four to six weeks were really, really challenging. I found it really hard to find a continued sense of joy and elation. I felt like I was running behind myself, mm. um, as quite a, a solitary, I'm, I'm pretty solitary person. I'm very independent. I spent a lot of quiet time alone. This was the exact opposite to have somebody need me and be so close all the time. um, you know, on, on the same hand, I felt such deep love, reverence, and happiness and joy at the presence of this new being, my child, my daughter. Um, but it was really, really hard. And breastfeeding, although natural, wasn't easy in the beginning. It required so much perseverance and discomfort and then moving through discomfort. And I hadn't, you know, I've, uh, I have I was actually just interviewed by the BBC recently about, this nipple piercing that I had when I was a teenager that just leaked nonstop now that I was breastfeeding. I don't know. It's funny that that was like a story that people were really interested in. Um, but it was so just like <laughs> the, the
0: intersection of like fetish sexuality and breastfeeding.
1: <laughs> oh my God. So weird. But anyway, so that was leaking nonstop beside the fact that your bo- boobs are already leaking nonstop. And are they, um, do
0: they, is it still leaking? It doesn't.
1: No, no, no. It's definitely leveled off. But once my milk came in, like for that first, I'd say it was like four weeks. That was just like, I would go through, I had to buy a second pack of breast pads, like reusable ones. I would go through probably 12 sets a day. And then, and then I got these really great cups that you fit into your bra while you're breastfeeding to collect milk. I found a local family who needed milk for their daughter. Yeah. And donated it to them. So it turned into a happy story. Um, it was an unexpected little bump. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and so Um,
0: how did your, let's talk about the guardian article real quick. How did that even, so for, for anyone who's listening, who isn't familiar with Lacey, um, and how I, how I came to know her, Um, I saw in the free birthing communities in, uh, on Facebook, I saw this art article just come through Mm -hmm. that. I don't remember the title, but it was something like my free birth or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was a guardian article. It was very short, but it was somebody kind of summarizing your choice to free birth.
1: Yes. So an acquaintance of mine is a journalist and she had, turn someone on to my Instagram page who is head of the experience section, which comes out in the guardian every Saturday. And what they do is they have a journalist interview you, and then they, they use your words. They write a 750 word story. They read it back to you and make sure that you're happy with it. And then they publish it. So I was approached by the guardian to do this and Agreed to it. It sounded fantastic. I was interviewed by a really fantastic woman. I read some of her work. It was great. When it came time to have my article read back to me, I was basically happy with it. There were some parts that I wasn't happy with, but I allowed myself to be convinced that they were fine. Mm. Um, even though I was kind of like, Oh, you know, I don't know if that conveys or that comes across. And then that was like, Yes, you know, we all agree this does come across. You know, it had been through two editors at this point, plus the journalists. So it's like, okay, okay, you know, I'm going to trust that that's, the, you know, that you guys think that's fine. They really, they really, uh, they wanted to tailor the story to make it so that it was kind of bite-sized, it could be read, n- minimal questions, and kind of give the whole story in 750 words, which is very difficult. Yeah. And and really, in the end, after after it came out, I really, I really realized that I did feel misrepresented because... When you have to summarize someone, you know, I might say something like, I'm a yoga teacher and a meditation guide, and I've spent a lot of time doing those practices. They've helped me to really understand who I am. And that assisted me to then free birth that gets summarized to I'm a yoga teacher. And so free birthing makes sense or Uh something, you uh know, quite, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't compact these ideas without sounding like an asshole. Um, so in the end, I was happy that the story went out there and that it reached people. And a lot of people had a lot of positive responses to it. And there was a lot of negativity. I tried to stay away from the negativity. I didn't read the comments. I think the majority of them were negative. And then they closed the comment section. Right. I saw which, that because, and, and, because and how, because how it was,
0: far postpartum were you when the, when the guardian came out?
1: I think that was probably about two months. Okay. Yeah. So I really had to steal myself after that. I went offline for about a week. Um, I got mastitis, uh, which I believe was stress, stress-based. Uh-huh. Um, I got sick. It was, it was overwhelming. You know, I consider myself a very strong person in the face of criticism, um, But when you feel slightly misrepresented and it's not in your own voice and then you're receiving criticism, it can be quite challenging to palate. So it was, although there was a lot of positivity, there was a lot of negativity. And I, I didn't go online because I also didn't know what I would receive, like what direct messages had come my way. I was receiving private messages that were abusive from people, a lot of comments that were positive, a lot of comments that were abusive Mm. and, um, Yeah. So it was, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it happened. I would do it differently, but then it wouldn't have happened had it been done differently because this is how this piece is done. So it's, it's just the way that it happened. Um, but since then, you know, I've that night I was then after it came out, I was on BBC radio and then because of that article, because of that article. Yeah. And, um, and have just been doing, yeah, like interviews, basically as a result of this article. So it's, it's wonderful. It's, 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 it's been good in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, as you you and I know, sitting down for an hour and a half to chat, that, that scratches the surface of what a birth story is, you know, like it, it it can't be summarized. Of course, all it really did is like (laughs) ruffle feathers, really, like
0: without giving, although to the haters, I don't think a personal four page, you know, or a book would have, would have, would have changed anything, you know? Probably not. Probably not. So yeah, it was a
1: really, it was a really interesting experience.
0: Yeah. Wow. Just, just so we might've mentioned this before we were recording, just, I remember reading it and wondering how far into your postpartum you were, because as I read the comments and then found you on Instagram and also read some of the feedback, I was like, oh, I hope she's not freshy. Like, I hope she's not laying there, you know, still bleeding, breastfeeding, Mm. absorbing this energy. But I I did get a sense from not just really the the article, but then from your, even just your Instagram feed, this sense of real, you know, not only maturity, but self-authority and fierceness and, wisdom. And, you know, so once I got more of like a taste for you, I was like, okay, she's probably fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and I had, you know, I I have a good and good net of people protecting me as well. You know, like I I've written things in the past where I've read the comments and it's been to my detriment. So I know at this stage in my life that that is not something that I ever need to do. Mm. You know, if you put something out in the world, um, Glen and Melton Doyle says that when she writes things, she doesn't babysit them. She walks away and mm. she moves on to the next thing. <laughs> so it's not your job to babysit your creations unless, you know, they're your children and yeah. you have to look after them. <laughs> but, um, I really felt that I was like, you know what, Lacey, this is the start of what you're doing because I really have been, you know, moving into this kind of work. Um, and I was like, there's, this is what you wanted. You know, you, I did want to be talking publicly about this, uh, you know, not just free birth, but also this idea of like radicalizing motherhood, which has really been like the premise of like my last two years. Um, so it's good, you know, it's good to have to, and for you, you know, you're, you're starting to get criticism as well. Um, and that's what happens when you're doing things that are important, and when they 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 push against what is normative.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, I think about um, Sheryl Sandberg, you know, from Facebook, mm, and you know, yeah. she's she's or Hillary Clinton, you know, all these people who, you know, big voices, and the bigger the woman and the bigger the voice, the the more haters there are, and that's just the weird balance that that we have in this on this planet at this time. And so, you know, like like you said, I mean it's almost validating to have the haters because it is that means that our voice is going, you know, into we're out of the echo chamber. You know, totally. we're, we're out yes. of the echo chamber if we're getting feedback from from all different types of people with all different types of ways of living and belief. And um it really is just on us to hold strong and be true, which I don't don't think is hard for either of us. And And have our energetic and and very real boundaries and, and just stay as loud as we possibly can because the (sighs) world needs to share these stories. And, you know, so many people are, are resonating with your message, you know, so many, like, you know, beyond what you could even know. Right. And that's, what's so beautiful about the internet.
1: Yes, it is. And that is exciting because you, you know, you know, the stats of what's close to you, but there's so much happening, you know, even you saying like this article in this, you know, free birth circles on, Uh I'm not part of those. So I don't know what's going on. Uh You know, I haven't, I'm, I'm not on Facebook very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just to hear you say that, it's like, oh yeah, there's so much beyond what you know and how it's
0: impacting. And the media and it, is not covering free birth, you know, so that's why it was really exciting. I think in these groups that the Guardian posted an article about this cool chick in London who just randomly chose to have a free birth <laughs> or not random. I mean, it wasn't, it was very no, intentional, know. but yeah, yeah. you know, that, that is just like, oh yeah, cool. This is happening everywhere. And this actually is interesting enough to some journalists. Or to some publications that it gets some some you know some media attention, which is exciting yeah, because all of us are is. you know working hard to normalize this and talk about it and um, validate women you know in these choices. And so mm. you know you you obviously play a, a big part in that.
1: And it's it's exciting too because you know the amount of people who read that article you know and the amount of attention that it received really does show. There is a huge audience for this information, you know, whether it's negative or not, and whether it, you know, whatever dialogue it sparks. But it really does; it is validating. You're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is important. Yeah, this is essential. And the, if people are getting really pissed off, good.
0: Right. You know, wow. like, chat,
1: like <laughs> let's let's do this. Like, and you said have boundaries. Like this for me, it's like. I I wrote a post right afterwards and I was like, these are my boundaries and this is what I will and won't do. And this is who I will talk to. And this is who I won't talk to. So, so like if you're going to rock up to my Instagram page and, and take umbrage with me and say shit to me, like go for it, but I'm not going to respond to you unless you're respectful because I'll respect you in return. So it's also just like, it's also if people want to really talk about it and they want to engage, then they will. And if they want to just be dicks then they will. And it's not my job. It's not my job to convince those people, but I'm happy to have a chat if you want to be an adult. You know? Totally. So it's also like really like helps me remember, like, okay, this is what I'm willing to do and this is what I'm not willing to do.
0: Absolutely. And there's, of course, you know, just like with religious beliefs, just like with, you know, parenting choices, there is a way to say, wow, I'm really triggered by your choice not to get scans because I really believe in that model and think that it saved my baby. Gosh, that's so interesting that we can exist in the same way, in the same place and make these different choices. Like, those are conversations, you know, if only that we could start to bridge, you know, because there is like, we, we are, we are women. We are mothers. We are in this sisterhood and we want to support each other. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's beyond infuriating and heartbreaking that we have been socialized to be so competitive and feel so Mm. less than, and so, so triggered and confronted by you making a autonomous, self-authoritative, you know, intuitive decision. And that that somehow is hurting somebody else's or threatening somebody else's way of life when that's not at all what you're actually doing. Um, yes. And the
1: way that you just framed the way that you just framed that way of communicating, you know, taking responsibility for the way that you feel. I mean, this just boils back to the whole decision behind free birthing. It's taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so To come at somebody who's made these decisions and to not even be able to take responsibility for your own feelings, I mean, it just pinpoints such a deep need in our society to effectively communicate not only with each other, but with ourselves, like to really evaluate, like why do I get upset? And instead of reacting, can I just sit with this and see where it's coming from? And for me, this turns back into this idea of embodiment, like where is this coming from inside of me? why am I reacting in this way? And then can I like evaluate that and then maybe spark conversation or just heal that within myself or just understand it within myself. And this is all about taking responsibility, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And it takes a lot of maturity to be able to hold multiple truths and multiple Mm. experiences. And you know, that, that one woman can say, you know, I feel really okay with my C-section, and I also support your choice to free birth. You know, mm-hmm. and and my baby felt was threatened in my birth, but I can comprehend that you also can make your own decisions. Like, you know, it's just it takes so much maturity. And we already know yes. that the internet's an easy place for trolls and haters. And um, yeah, it's been really you know ap- appalling to see, um, quite frankly, some of the attacks that I've I've seen on your page. But I think you're you're navigating it really gracefully. And I love how, um, yeah, just your voice is so fierce and so clear and so joyous and so goofy and, and, um, you know, I think people are really resonating with it. Um, and, and with that, I wanted to just end with, um, you letting the listeners know how they can find you. And I saw recently that you had a post about, um, offering consultations and guidance around some of this stuff. So why don't you just close with speaking a little bit of, of what your offerings are.
1: You can find me at Very Lacy on Instagram, where I share um, insights into my life, into my pregnancy, into the postpartum days, breastfeeding, motherhood, and this idea of radicalizing motherhood, which really is the cornerstone of this journey for me. So I really, as I started to become a mom, I needed to know that I, I had to heal my relationship to this role because I didn't value it. So I really entered into this huge, um, evaluation of what it meant to be a mother and what it meant to be a mother for me and how I could take on this sacred, amazing task and do it with like full reverence for the role. And with that, I have realized how important it is for other women to, um, to explore that within themselves. So I'm offering offering one-on-one pregnancy guidance. Um, I'm, I'm trained as a yoga lifestyle coach and a conscious birthing coach. So Uh, it's kind of fusing together all of these different offerings and, and helping to guide people on their journey. And it's not about a certain modality. So for me, it's not about saying like, you must free birth, you must do that. It's not about advice. It's more about holding the space and then helping you to find your truth, what you truly want, and then fortifying yourself so that you can feel really good about making decisions that are right for you. So that's what I'm offering. Um, right now. And I've also, I've also been writing a book about all of this. So I've pitched that to some publishers. So maybe it'll be out in the next year, hopefully. And uh, that can be another podcast.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> cool. And so people can find you at your website if they are interested in the sessions. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. We'll follow her at very Lacy. It's a really fun feed. Um, And yeah, just thank you so much. I, I adore you and so appreciate your voice and your energy. And it's stories like these that, you know, other women need to hear.
1: Thank you. And I feel like I found such a friend in you and you have been so wonderful on my Instagram feed because sometimes I can just not bear to engage, but never fear. You are there to engage on my behalf. And I'm just like, Oh, thank God. It's just so satisfying. And I you're can't just, help and myself you're, oh, myself. you're so good. You have so much knowledge. You're so smart. It doesn't, you know, it's not like you're just waffling in from nowhere, you know, like you have attended births, you know what you are talking about. So it's just so nice to have you rock up with all of your wisdom, all of your compassion, but then also your ferocity. It's just like huge satisfaction. I love you for it.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. Yeah. Ain't ain't, ain't nobody got time (laughs) for the bullshit. (laughs) Nah, girl, we
1: ain't got no time for it.
0: All right, girlfriend. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, story to share, or an episode idea, find me on freebirthsociety.com and send me a message. Also, reviews on iTunes are awesome. It helps spread the podcast to more listeners. Let's build and connect this community. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.